Hello, and welcome to the My Messy Church podcast. Each week, we'll be going through your questions from the weekend services and doing our best to present answers from a biblical perspective. If you haven't yet listened to the weekend sermon, I want to encourage you to head over to curtislake.org backslash media for context of what we will be discussing today. We love getting your questions and cannot wait to grow together. So without further ado, let's dive into My Messy Church. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to uh, the My Messy Church podcast. Uh, This past week, we talked about uh, the importance of understanding what the foundation of the church is uh, and being faithful to maintain um, maintain what that foundation is. Uh, Paul makes the comment that after he's laid this foundation uh, in Corinth, that those who are building on top of it have to be careful in the way that they're building. And so it kind of speaks to, uh, I think, the, the, the way, the means uh, in which we are, uh, we're building the church. And, and so... Um, let's kind of dig into some of the questions, uh, that we had. The first one is, uh, related to the foundation it says, what is a practical way to maintain a firm foundation and preserve a simplistic or healthy perspective of God among a noisy world? Um, so when it comes to like being anchored on a foundation, uh, I think we can look at this. First of all, if we're talking about an individual, right? So at the personal level, like how do I, how do I stay, you know, grounded properly on a foundation that doesn't have me just kind of going, venturing out into left field uh, with, you know, my thoughts and my ideas. Um, if you're thinking about like my, my doctrine, my theology, my practice, how do I, how do I maintain a, uh, a faithfulness to the, the foundation? Um, and so I'd say on a personal level, what you need to do is, actually, you really need to tie yourself to a church, uh, to a healthy church, right? You need to, um, you, you need, we all need, we all need to be part of a community, uh, that without that, it, it, I think it just, it makes it too easy for us to either just kind of be out in, in a place where it's easy to die off, right. Or, or to get, um, you know, start to start adopting some very strange ways about thinking about things or seeing the world. Um, so tie yourself to a healthy church. Uh, and, and by that, I mean, you, when, when you find a church, a, you know, a good church, uh, that you can engage in, like you need, you need to invest in it. Uh, first of all, you need to, you need to, um, yeah, you need to invest in that in that thing, right? You can't, you can't just sort of casually associate with the church. You need to invest in it. Um, meaning you need to pour some of yourself into it, right? Invest yourself in it. Uh, for most churches, there's a weekly worship service. You know, if we're talking about Curtis Lake church, um, you need to try to take advantage of the weekly worship service as often as possible, right? As, uh, if there's 52 weeks, uh, in the year that we're worshiping, uh, corporately on Sunday morning, uh, you know, unless, unless there's a really good reason not to, or if you happen to be away, that should be a priority uh, for all of us. And then I, I think there needs to be something that goes beyond that too, uh, because you can actually participate in a worship service and still remain pretty anonymous and disconnected from the actual life of the church. And so you probably need to invest in something else, 
Uh, for us, you know, in our culture, we have things like small groups that you can be part of where uh, you get to be among some people um, who will know your name and you'll know their names, right? So it's this idea of, of, of knowing others and being known by others. Uh, there's ways that we can serve uh, within the church or serve our community through the church, but like it, figure out a way to invest yourself uh, into the life of the church, right? That's going to help. Uh, that's going to help you on a personal level, maintain uh, a firm foundation. Right. And, and then uh, remember I said, like, you need to find a, a good church, a healthy church, uh, one that is itself properly founded and grounded on, uh, on, on what are, the, the most important things, right? We talked about how the foundation is essentially Jesus Christ, right? He is at the center uh, of everything. He is, um, you know, both the, the understanding that uh, Jesus Christ is the son of God come into this world, crucified on the cross uh, in order to save and redeem the whole world, right? Like that's, that's the foundation. That's, that's the, uh, that's the, the thing that we, sort of center our, ourselves on. And if that's not, if that's not really at the center, then, um, there's a pretty good indication there that like the church corporately has strayed away, uh, from, you know, and, and is now, is now building in a way that probably is, uh, ultimately unhealthy. Uh, next question is how can you build a strong foundation, uh, how can you build a strong foundation in Jesus Christ within your children? when only one parent wants to strengthen their relationship with God? Uh, this is a really good question, you know, a tough question. I can feel uh, very sympathetic for the person, uh, assuming the person who asked this is in that kind of situation, you know, where you have one parent that has uh, a priority for raising their children in the faith of helping them to, uh, to experience a, a world that includes God um, at the center of their lives uh, that sees the community of the church as something that's really, really important uh, for them to be a part of. But then you have another parent who does not have those same priorities. Uh, and so I think one of the things we have to just be honest when, when we find ourselves in a situation like that is that um, this is this is going to sound kind of unfortunate, but like the burden is on you, right? When it comes to the spiritual well-being of your child, I, I, I don't think it's any mystery that that burden is going to fall predominantly on you. Uh, that is, you're probably, unless you're really, really lucky, you're probably not going to get a lot of support uh, from the other parent. Hopefully, Hopefully if the other parent isn't necessarily like supportive or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that you're, you know, so glad that you and the kids are going off to church on Sunday morning and letting me do my thing. Um, sometimes it's, sometimes it's far more toxic than that, right? Sometimes the, there's actually hostility that's created because, uh, because you have, you know, you have two adults that are kind of moving in different directions, right? And that spiritual imbalance is actually creating some tension, especially uh, when it begins, when, when the kids are brought into the picture and, um, you know, what are, uh, you know, what are the activities that the kids are going to be, uh, engaged in? Right. And so you just need to recognize that again, just be honest with the fact that your priorities as a parent that wants to raise your kids in church and, um, in faith, 
those priorities are going to be different from the other parents' priorities. And uh, I do think it's important for you to honor just where your spouse is at or the parent of your children, just honor where they're at. Um, honor the fact that they, at, at this particular place or, or in time in their lives, like they, they, they have these priorities and, and, and it shouldn't be too surprising uh, for, you know, a parent that, that thinks like, let's just say, you know, a parent thinks that church is, uh, it's just kind of silly. It's a waste of time. Uh, or you, you pick your, your, your favorite pejorative, uh, term. It's just not, it's not hard to imagine why they would actually feel, um, resentment for you taking, you know, the, the, the children that you have together, but that are, you know, that, that person's children, as well, um, you know, why you're, why you're taking them, especially like, let's say, let's say that your uh, the parent of the, the children has a bad relationship with the church. They grew up in a, uh, in a, and, and, and just experienced harm, uh, or just has a really, really, uh, bad opinion of, uh, uh, of the church of institutional religion, whatever, just, like don't don't discount that I, you you have to you have to understand where that other person is coming from right so honor, honor their desires but but you know don't discount your desires um just out of hand right don't 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 just defer everything then uh it's like oh well you know uh mom or dad here doesn't want the kids to go to church and so um okay i guess that's that's that right i mean Honor their desires, but don't don't discount yours as well. Also, especially as kids are getting older, just realize that uh, it's going to be very easy for your kids to be attracted to other things. Uh, we know that if your kids are involved in extracurricular activities like sports or um, uh, you know just other interests, you know, dance, um, drama, uh, you know, whatever. A lot of times, those activities. Uh, the, you know, there's events that happen on Sundays, which now are competing with church attendance, right? It's all right. Uh, am I going to let my kid do this? Which means that they're not going to be able to go to church on Sunday mornings, which might mean that I can't go to church on Sunday mornings, or am I going to draw a hard line here and say, uh, no, church is our priority. You know, so it's just, it's, understand that, again, especially as your kids are getting older and starting to think more independently, um, as they're being attracted to these other things, there is the potential for a lot of tension, uh, even between you, uh, and the child, or they might just want to stop going. Uh, it might not even be, uh, it might not be basketball during the winter. It might simply be that, uh, there's some friends that are getting together and having a sleepover on Saturday night into Sunday. And, you know, those kids don't go to church and your kid has been invited and, um, and, and, you know, you don't, yeah, you find yourself in a position where you don't want to take that away from them or have them kind of on the outs with their friends. And so you let them do it. And then sometimes there's a tendency for that to happen more often than not. And, you know, now all of a sudden your, your church attendance is very, very sporadic. Uh, so just understand that like, that's going to be part of raising your kids in a 
especially in a, in a situation where you don't have both parents who are heavily vested in the life of the church, where it might be easier to kind of draw the line and say, it's like, okay, well, church is, this is what we do as a family. We, we go to church. Uh, and so figure it out, work, you know, we're gonna, we got to work this other stuff around that. I think sometimes you have to have this, find this balance between, uh, firmness and permissiveness, right? Not utterly permissive where church is no longer important or a priority. Uh, but also you don't want to have such a heavy hand in it. Like, especially if your kid hates it, if your kid doesn't want to go to church, right. And you have a heavy hand in forcing the kid to go to church. Um, now, now there's a chance that you're creating resentment, uh, in their lives. And so, um, you might need as a parent, you might need to ensure that you're in a place where your church is set up or your, your kids set up to, to really excel. Uh, so if you got a teenager and, uh, and, and they're not, they're not being attracted to go to the youth program, we'll find out like, why is it that they don't want to go to the youth program? Is it, is it just simply a lack of desire on the part of your kid? Or is there something that's kind of missing in the program for youth that is it's, that's helping, uh, helping your kid to not want to go right or if if your kid despises going you've got a second grader and they just despise going to church uh, on sunday mornings it's like okay well why do they despise that or why is it that they're so easily attracted to do something else and and advocate uh you know ask questions find out is there something uh, amiss in the environment or in the programming that's that's just not helping you as a family to raise your kid because I mean, for, at least from my perspective, I mean, the, our, our job as, as the church is to, to try to come alongside parents and help parents, um, to equip their children to be followers of Jesus Christ. Like we, we have a part as a community, uh, to speak into the life of the family and into the lives of kids. Uh, and so if we're not, if we're not doing a good job with that, then we need to address and fix that. Uh, and then finally, I would just say, make it a priority as best you can to try to surround your kid with other Christian kids. Figure out ways that you can uh, help your child experience friendships among other Christian kids. The reality is if if your kid only has unchurched, un, um, non-Christian kids in their lives, then like all of the priorities of that friend group that they're a part of is it, it's going to have a tendency to pull away from being part of the church. It, it's going to have very little to nothing to do with, you know, wanting to grow spiritually, to grow in the faith. And, and we need to realize that just like we as adults, we need community. Um, I can't, I can't not have spiritual friendships and spiritual relationships in my life and expect to live successfully as a follower of Jesus. I mean, I can't, I can't do that on my own. All right. I say over and over and over again, we cannot live the Christian life alone. Same thing goes with our kids, regardless of how old they are. And so we need to look for ways. Uh, if your kid goes to a public school, which most of our kids do, uh, you know, they're developing friendships. And I'm not saying like, don't let them have <laughs> friendships and community with kids that don't go to church. Um, that, in fact, I'd say like, absolutely don't do that. Right. We're, we're not, we're not trying to like create this exclusive, very insular and closed in community where, uh, our kids don't have to rub shoulders with the unchurched, but neither have it such that your kids have no Christian friends because it's just going to make it really, really hard for them 
to uh, to want to go to church. You can imagine if if they're going to church and there's they don't have any friends there already, it's just going to make attending and belonging and uh, all that stuff much much more difficult. So again, I get it's a tough situation um, to be in, but I do think that uh, there are ways that you can um, you can help kind of mitigate some of the challenges there. All right, the next question is, when should a church evaluate itself to ensure that it's still standing on the intended foundation and not shifting away? What does that evaluation look like? Uh, so when should a church? I, I think I think the when is, there's not, there's not necessarily like these intermittent times that we ought to do. It's a constant thing. Uh, we, uh, we know that the possibility of drift is always uh, a real thing for us. It, it's, Personally, I, I, if I'm not intentional about, uh, about pursuing passionately my relationship with God, I'm going to drift away. Like spiritual, spiritual formation and spiritual, um, anchor, uh, you know, like, like being spiritually anchored and solid in your faith. That is not it just doesn't happen by accident. We have to be intentional. And so there is this, this constant vigilance. I love how some of, uh, some of the instruction that we're given as Christians uh, in, in, in like some of the New Testament uh, literature, it, it, it says things like to be sober, to be vigilant, right? To, to be spiritually alert, awake and alive. Um, Jesus, I, when, when in, in some of the parables that he expressed, he was constantly referring to how the people that are looking for and waiting for um, the the master to return say like they need to be ready right be be in the state of readiness and so we just we need to recognize that there is a, a constant need for us uh, to have our eyes open and our ears open to whatever it is that God is you know trying to get our attention on uh, because if we don't we're going to drift off that's that's just absolutely the fact of the matter. Uh, I think that like the evaluation can look something like what it looks like for us now. I mean, we're walking as a church, we're walking through uh, a letter that was written by Paul to a church and looking for how uh, some of the various challenges that they may have been facing might also be challenges that we ourselves are facing. And, and it helps us to maybe uh, take uh, some inventory on our own church life and well-being and see, all right, is there, is there a place here where we've kind of gone amiss and we need to get back to where, uh, where we need to be? And, and so it, this might sound simplistic, but we need to learn from God's word, right? We, we, God's word is the standard. It is the measuring stick uh, that helps, to de- helps us to determine where we are. And so we have the benefit of uh, an entire uh, kind of like early history of the church in the book of Acts that gives us some some keen insight into what life was like for the earliest Christians. Uh, you know, long before it got all muddled up by uh, a bunch of high-level church organization and denominations and, and, and um, you know, complicated doctrines and all that, right? Like it was a very, very simple way of being in spiritual community with one another as followers of Jesus. And so as we learn from what we see kind of 
exposed to us there in the book of Acts. That's helpful. And then we have all these letters, right? So first and second Corinthians is just a couple of them, but there's other letters to other churches. Plus, you know, Paul wrote to some church leaders. And so we can use all of that material together uh, to help us to do an assessment of where we're at and how we're doing. Um, we also need, we also need prophetic voices, right? Uh, that God's people from, from, whether you're talking about the nation of Israel, uh, you'll find oftentimes, you know, God raising up men and women that spoke prophetically to the community of God's people, sometimes who spoke prophetically even to individuals. And the purpose for that was uh, because, again, just taking myself as an example, uh, like I said, I, I have the potential of drifting, right? So there's that. I also have the potential of developing blind spots in my life, right? Things that while in a lot of ways, my heart might be kind of in the right place or, or oriented correctly, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm uh, completely invulnerable to developing, you know, some particular blind spot. And so like we need the prophetic voice to speak. Um, we need, and by that, I, I, I simply mean that, that God raises up individuals. Um, sometimes they're people that are in official leadership capacities, uh, of the church, right? Like, you know, when I preach on Sunday morning, I, I, I feel kind of a sense of, you know, some prophetic calling where I am, um, I, I'm trying to, to, to declare, uh, and to speak, you know, the, the word of God in a way, um, that, that, that exposes things, uh, like sin and like where we've gone amiss and what needs to be corrected, um, how we need to return to God, right? Like those kinds of things. Uh, but even outside of leadership, I mean, the fact is God has gifted individuals, um, you know, with a, with, with a prophetic voice, uh, that, that, that may intermittently, uh, here and there, uh, have a, an observation that, that the church is, is, uh, it, it, it's not doing well in, in one place or another. And like, it doesn't have to be super mysterious and weird and crazy and all that. I mean, I think back to, uh, like one of the examples that we get from the book of Acts, like there came this point where the community was growing at such a pace that it was actually outgrowing the leadership structure uh, that was there, right? You had the 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 apostles that were kind of like carrying all of the load of managing this this beast of uh, a growing church population, and so what ended up happening is uh, some very vulnerable segments of the church community were being neglected, uh, and and guess who didn't notice it? Right? <laughs> it was like the leadership didn't notice. Uh, Peter Peter was busy fulfilling, you know, what God had called him to do as one of the, the kind of chief leaders and, and, and preachers and the proclaimers of the gospel and all that. Right. So he's, he's doing that and he doesn't really have eyes on the ground, seeing how vulnerable people are being just completely neglected. And so, you know, somebody has to have kind of this prophetic voice and bent that exposes uh, where this has gone wrong. And then, uh, and and then the church has the the task of figuring out how to fix that, right? And so, in that particular story, um, when when leadership became apprised of the problem that was happening, you know, they went and they they sought 
counsel from God and among one another uh, to figure out how they would fix this problem. And they did it, right? They, they fixed the problem. So we need prophetic voices. We need people who are seeking God, who, uh, who again, from a variety of areas uh, within the life and the body of the church can speak into the life of the church. Um, and then when it comes to the to the assessment of our foundation, I, I, I think the questions are pretty easy. Um, I think it's like we can ask ourselves, is Jesus the, is Jesus at the center of our adoration, right? Is, is, is the, is, is what we have as a church community is what we are uh, adoring and, and, and falling more in love with is, is Jesus and not something else, right? If it's, if it's something else, that's a pretty clear indication that we've we've moved off the foundation. Um, is obedience to Jesus, right? So if Jesus is the center of our adoration, uh, he told us, if you love me, oh, keep my commandments, right? That's he he's like, this is this is how it works. If you want to demonstrate actual real love for me, keep my commandments. And so uh, we can ask ourselves, is obedience to the commands of Jesus at the center of our desires, right? Or are my desires pulling me in other directions? If they're pulling me in other directions, again, pretty clear indication that we've moved off the foundation. So I think it's really, really simple. Not easy, right? None of this stuff is ever easy, uh, but it is simple. All right, the next question is, what do you think is causing so many people to join the nuns? Uh, for those of you listening, uh, the nuns spelled N-O-N-E. S. This is a group of people that consider themselves to be religiously unaffiliated. Uh, so if they're filling out a survey that said, what religion do you belong to? They'd be checking the box that says none. And there's a growing number of people that are doing that. Like if you go back a hundred years, uh, you're going to find very few people that would consider themselves religiously unaffiliated, right? They're going to, they're going to check some particular box, whether, whether they're actually practicing, uh, their particular religion uh, or not, they're going to consider themselves at least minimally affiliated with some particular religion, but not so much today. We have a growing, uh, a trending uh, kind of direction, more and more people unaffiliating with any kind of religion. So why is that? Uh, this, this person asks. Uh, I think there's a variety of things that contribute to this reality. Uh, for one thing, I mean, we live in a state uh, that is just far less religious than uh, than what uh, you know what our 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 populations have been in in you know decades and centuries past. Right, we're less religious because of the growing secularization of society, uh, and things contribute to that. I mean, think about in the 1800s, you have the theory of evolution, uh, which began to undermine things like human uniqueness, right? The theory of evolution teaches that everything uh, essentially evolved uh, out of some common ancestor uh, through the process of natural selection. And, and so human beings are actually not anything unique and different from the rest. They just happen to be something that's a little more progressed, uh, a little more evolved, right? So the fact that you lose something like human uniqueness and also with that kind of undermining um, all the or a lot of what had been very certain religious beliefs about, about God, about human beings. Uh, and so now because of the theory of evolution, uh, society has been given a possible alternative, um, kind of existence that doesn't have to worry about God, right? If before 
such a theory was espoused. You had people largely believing in something like God, uh, whether it was the, the the God of the of the um, of the Jews and the Christians, uh, or you know, the God of um, uh, you know uh, other other kinds of religion, you know, polytheistic religions that had lots and lots of gods, you know, there was always this, there's always some belief in something other than, um, you know, kind of what you saw uh, in front of you in in the way of the physical universe. Uh, But uh, while I think that uh, the theory of evolution has some some incredible problems from a scientific perspective, um, as well as just kind of this um, this reality perspective. I mean, you still have the problem of, well, where did everything come from? Um, it, 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 it has, if I could say it this way, it has given people permission to, um, to, to just sort of write off something like the necessity of God as a being that we are ultimately accountable to, right? And so, so now you're just, you're, you're, you're helping to pave a way toward a more secularized society. Uh, we have the rise of secular humanism. Um, the uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury in the I don't know mid 1900s, I think um, his name was William Temple, and he defined secular humanism as uh, this system that hoped to retain Christian values. Right, it sees Christian values as being uh, as being good, as being important, but it, it seeks to retain those Christian values without also retaining Christian faith. Uh, and, and so, uh, now as opposed to humans being accountable to a God, you have humans becoming accountable to one another, right? You have the, um, a commitment to, uh, an ethic, um, you know, certain standards of ethics, um, where, you know, we understand that, hey, if, um, if, if we're going to do this, we're kind of on our own, we've got to do this right. And so the, the humanist uh, sees human beings as being responsible for, um, uh, you know, for helping humanity to achieve its best good. Again, but like in the absence of God. Uh, and, and, and so, and this can be attractive, especially when you have a lot of negative things maybe happening in the name of religion, a lot of negative things happening in the name of Christianity. Um, the, the rise of secular humanism sort of, again, retains those Christian values, which are good, but without what they would think is the baggage of, you know, religious beliefs um, that vary from one religious system to another. Um Speaking of, you know, some of the kind of the bad things that are done in the name of religion, uh, we have a world that oftentimes looks at uh, religion or uh, the church, like let's just talk about the church that some people think the church has a very indifferent uh, view on matters of injustice, right? It thinks that the church is just kind of consumed with um uh, with religious things and altogether indifferent toward, you know, actual on the ground matters of injustice. And, uh, and, and so it's not even fulfilling the very values that it is supposedly espousing, uh, or, or the church even worse is actually perpetrating matters of injustice or is, is part of the systematic 
problems of injustice. Right? We've seen we've seen things like that, um, you know, in the in the institutions of religion over time. I, I was thinking about the um, uh, like locally, you know, we had the the child abuse scandal of um, the Boston Archdiocese not too long ago that just rocked the Catholic Church. Right as it was discovered that. Uh, there was some really bad stuff. Not only was there really bad stuff going on, but it was also just being covered up and swept under the rug. Um, we know that there is uh, always going to be a headline practically daily, probably, uh, of things like clergy abuse, of uh, clergy greed, right? This, uh, this, you know, this super mega church or, you know, mega ministry uh, pastor or pastor couple that's making millions and millions and millions of dollars and, and living in, in, in very, um, uh, yeah, uh, just living these lives of greed while, uh, the, the people that are contributing to that probably can't afford <laughs> to be paying for their private jets and, um, the other things that they're doing a lot of times that, uh, religion, uh, religious institutions end up, uh, with fraudulent activity, you know, they, there's a lack of financial integrity sometimes, uh, you know, some have engaged in cultic practices that have, uh, in some cases led to, you know, uh, mass suicides or other kinds of really, really weird, uh, things done in the name of religion. Um, some churches have really, really toxic culture. So anyway, there's just, there's all of this, there's all this stuff that gets kind of thrown into the, the, the bucket of religion. And so a lot of people kind of throw their hands up and they're like, well, <laughs> um, you know, why do we need that? If we, if, if we can, if we can live, uh, if we can find a way to live ethically, um, you know, well toward one another as human beings, if we can, if we can actually espouse these really, really good values without the baggage of religion, then why wouldn't we want to? And so something like the church can become less attractive uh, for people to engage in. And then, you know, and then there's the, I talk about this a lot because I think it's a real problem and it's the, it's the reality of uh, the very individualistic ways that we live our lives now. Um, you know, the, what, what, what progress has afforded us, uh, industrialization, uh, urbanization, a whole bunch of other Asians, you know, probably uh, that are contributing to the rise of individualism. Uh, I, I have the, the privilege of, uh, of being my own person that gets to do whatever, uh, whatever I want, right? Like that I, I can, I can very, very easily live my life with that kind of orientation that I am going, I am going to pursue a life that is going to produce the best and most, the best level of, and the most happiness, uh, for my life. I'm going to go after hard those things that are going to make me the most happy. And when it comes to, to church, I mean, there's this individualism is expressed in the reality that we all have a whole bunch of different churches that we can choose from, right? We get to we get to pick from the huge spread, the huge buffet of churches that are available to us. Uh, and if if church isn't our thing, then there's lots of other ways that we can actually find community if if that's what we're seeking. Um, and so, 
I probably shouldn't say this, but there's a lot more, there's a lot more fun ways, um, to, to be with people than, you know, hanging out on a Sunday morning in a church service, you know, singing songs and listening to somebody preach at you, um, for an hour or so. And, uh, I mean, I think that's fun, but clearly lots of people don't. Right. So yeah, I, I want to, it's getting cold outside. So I'll say, you know, people join a snowmobile club, right. And, and now snowmobiling is a place that they, uh, they find an activity that they enjoy and also a kind of community and camaraderie that they can have, um, a sense of belonging with other individuals. And it's very easy for something like that to just uh, to replace some of the felt need that we have that we used to find uh, in church community. Uh, so lots of different ways uh, because we're individuals uh, and we are very individualistic. Uh, lots of different ways that we can seek after what makes us the most happy. And, uh, and, and often, unfortunately, church ranks for a lot of people, ranks pretty low. And I think that contributes to a, a, a more of the departure of people away from church. Uh, and then finally, like the, when it comes to, there's a lot of people that would describe themselves as spiritual, right? There are all kinds of movements, um, in the area of spirituality and spiritual growth of people becoming more attuned with their spiritual selves that are outside of the domain of the church. And a lot of those pursuits of spirituality again they're they've been privatized they um they invite people to find what works for them and so instead of bringing our spiritual lives into community which i insist is absolutely necessary uh i you know i can i, I can look for some other way uh to so again kind of like connect with the spiritual part of me that isn't necessarily uh connected to uh, the community of a church. And so, yeah, I think, I think those are a lot of the reasons why, uh, you know, people are, are more and more unaffiliating, which has given the church the task of, uh, you know, first of all, understanding, uh, or, 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 or being introspective about, you know, okay, you know, are there, um, are we responsible for some of this, at least some measure of it, you know, when it, for instance, uh, you know, are, are we, are we, are we continuing to try to like, hold on to a particular kind of church culture that, that the world just finds utterly irrelevant? Well, if, if, if we're going to do that and, and not actual, actually have, um, you know, some relevance for people, then yeah, we should expect that we're not going to see people attracted, uh, toward the church. Uh, I, I think there, there are some things that the church has been assigned and tasked to do and to be, um, that only the church can do. So while, like I said, while a person can find a kind of community outside of the church, there is a kind of spiritual community that can only be found within the church. And so what we need to be doing is working really, really hard to become the kind of church that we need to be so that when somebody wanders in for whatever reason, God brings somebody into our church community, it might be a person who's hurting, right? And uh, that person who's hurting 
uh, while the snowmobile club may be great, they, they recognize that's it. Like, that's not, that's not fixing the hurt that I'm currently feeling in my life. The church has to be a place where that hurting person can come and find help. Right. Just like Jesus said that, uh, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Right. And he says, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. I have come to give life and to give life more abundantly. I have come to help those, um, who, uh, who are, um, you know, poor in spirit, broken in spirit. And, and the church, we, we continue on that commission, uh, in the name of Jesus. Like we need to be that kind of place. Uh, and that's, I think how we'll, we'll see thinking about our community of Sanford and our surrounding towns here. Like that's how we're going to be a place that's going to, uh, attract people, uh, to, to, to our community that are, that'll find themselves instead of being not religiously affiliated, you know, find themselves actually giving their lives, uh, to Jesus. Uh, next question is how can we lovingly correct and support our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling with their faith in the Lord? Um, so I, I don't know what, um, I don't know what we, what the person means by struggling, uh, with their faith. Um, so if, if, if it's, you know, the person is struggling because of, you know, some kind of difficulty that, um, that they're experiencing like some, some challenge and, and like, it's, they're walking through a hardship that's causing them to really kind of struggle with their faith. Um, then, I'd say that what we need to do as brothers and sisters is just support, support, support that person. Right? We need to come alongside. Uh, we need, um, like our faith needs to be strong enough to kind of help carry them through that time of difficulty that they're experiencing themselves. Um, are, are they struggling in the sense that they're kind of distancing themselves away from the church? Uh, they are for whatever reason, uh, a reason that may be known or unknown to you. They're just, you know, uh, it might manifest in such a way that they are, um, they're attending less or they stop coming to small group or they're no longer serving and they just, they just seem to be drifting away. Uh, if that's the case, then I, I think as a person that's in their lives, uh, a person that has a relationship with them, we need to keep after them, right? We need to be there for them. We need to love them unconditionally, uh, recognize that while they may be distancing themselves, like let's be the kind of person that's not going to allow them to distance themselves. Let's keep putting ourselves in their lives, not, not in an obnoxious way, not in a judgmental way, but in a way that helps that person to know, Hey, you know, like I, I'm here for you. Um, and for whatever you need, right? Like if, if, if you're, if you're kind of feeling like you're on the outs with the church, uh, for whatever reason, or, uh, there's, there's just something there. I mean, that happens that, that, Unfortunately, that happens all the time. Uh, maybe it's because you know the, the preacher said something that he shouldn't have said, uh, or there there was some other kind of relational conflict uh, that just has the person feeling like eh, I you know I, I like I don't need to I don't I don't need that and and so they start distancing themselves or maybe you know it's possible that the person is as um, you know they they've let something creep into their lives they've kind of opened the door um, you know to some some sin or something that, you know, sin has a way of pulling us away from God. And, and so, yeah, whatever the, whatever the reason is, um, like just be there for them, keep after them. Uh, or are they struggling with doubts? Like, is the question that, 
you know, they're just, they're really struggling in their faith and that like they're, they're, they're just starting to be overwhelmed with doubts about various things. Well, have a conversation, find out what those doubts are, and then maybe, maybe do a deep dive. I mean, there's all kinds of resources out there. Uh, when somebody's questioning something uh, or another, uh, there's, there, there's so much good stuff. And, and so you can, you could ask for some help on resources that might help you and another person kind of walk through, uh, to help alleviate some of those doubts. All right. Um, next question is you talked about tithing. Can you explain the point? Well, all I did really was make it a funny. Um, I mean, I thought it was funny, uh, you know, showed this big lavish house and said that, you know, it belonged to a church member that wasn't tithing. Um, so I wasn't really trying to make a point except for, you know, just a little tithing jab. Uh, but anyway, since somebody has asked, I did not type this in myself. <laughs> I don't want to be accused of that. Uh, since somebody did ask, let me, let me just explain, you know, kind of 5,000 foot view, my view of, of tithing. Um, going back to the, the beginning, tithing was, a uh, tithing was like an act of obedience to God, right? So the tithe means the 10th, uh, the 10th part. And, uh, and, and the idea I think behind the tithe was that the person, uh, through the, the giving of the tithe was recognizing that everything comes to us from God. And so what we do in response to that acknowledgement is not just simply acknowledge it. We actually do something to acknowledge it. We bring back the first tenth. We bring that back to God, um, as, uh, as a recognition of the fact that everything he has given us comes from him. Um, there, like there's a place, uh, where God actually, uh, he, he does an assessment of his people, right? The nation of Israel, uh, and accuses them of failing to bring the tithe, the whole tithe, um, to the house of the Lord. And so he accuses them of robbing him, right? The fact that they were unwilling to bring the tithe, God calls that, robbery, right? So again, the tithe was an act of obedience. Now, it is certainly arguable whether the tithe is a like this timeless um, kind of tribute and commandment that we as Christians are supposed to continue to follow and observe or whether we're free from it. Um, I kind of think it's it's both of those things, right? We are free from the law. Uh, and so we don't we don't fulfill the matters uh, of the law as uh, as as an obligation, uh, but it doesn't mean that the that the law of God is not important. And and the tithe is interesting in that it does seem to have you know some continuity from uh, the old covenant into the new, right? And so we could go into this this whole theological thing about it. Um, the, the truth is the tithe. Uh, we see an ex- we see that we see tithing happening even before the law was instituted, right? Like Abraham gave a tithe, uh, and that was before the law was ever made. And so, yeah. So th- th- again, arguable whether or not it's you know as a Christian I am obligated um, to tithe, but I do think it's important to remember that like there's some benefits to it. Um, one of the benefits of the tithe, both for the, the the nation of Israel as well as for the follower of Jesus today, is that it reminds us that everything we have comes from God, right? When I when I bring a tithe, there's there's a a physical, tangible uh, way that I am recognizing that everything I has, everything I have comes from God. Also, I really believe that it helps to break the power and the cycle of greed in our lives. 
the truth is if I just, if I take all the money that I earn and I just do with it, whatever I want, possibly like if there's something left over at the end, then, you know, maybe I donate or give some of it away. That is a very greedy way, very self-centered way to, for me to live my life when it comes to my, to my money. Um, so the tithe, it breaks it, right? Like the, the tithe interrupts that because it doesn't, it doesn't just give God leftovers that might be left over. It gives God the first 10th. It says, okay, um, you know, I made a hundred dollars. First thing I'm going to do is give 10 of those dollars back to God. And then, you know, and then I'm, I, I have some freedom to do with the other, um, the other 90, what, you know, what I want to do. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it breaks the, the, the power of greed in my life. And, and then there is a benefit in that it is a means by which we contribute to the expansion of God's kingdom. Right. And this is what I mean by the fact that there's some continuity, uh, for the Jews, the, the tithe was used, uh, to support the place of worship, right. Where the Jews, um, uh, where they worshiped a, a place that they benefited from as, as individuals and as a community. And so the tithe helped support the work of that. And, uh, it seems like it's appropriate for the local church to be supported in a similar way. Right. I mean, we don't, um, the reason why we exist as, um, as, as an organization, uh, and as a church community community, the reason why we can have uh, a building, um, you know, and, and, and staff and, uh, and, investment in various ministries. The reason why we can do that is because of people's faithfulness and tithing, right? That contributes to uh, the expansion of God's kingdom. And, uh, and so bottom line, like when it comes to tithing, from my perspective, this is how I would encourage a person to try to, you know, to think or, you know, to like challenge uh, the way somebody approaches their, their, their personal income, uh, and expenses. Um, for me, the tithe is a starting point, right? It is that, that first 10% is a, it's just simply a matter of obedience. Um, I, I, I ought to be giving that without any thought, um, that belongs to God, right? That's, that's, that's the way I understand it. Uh, and then beyond that, I think the new Testament ethic when it comes to our money is that, well, it's not actually just the first 10% that belongs to God. It all belongs to God. It is all his. I'm just a steward. I'm a custodian of it. And so I actually have a responsibility, even with the other remaining 90% to, to, to do with that, um, to manage that money in a way that would make God very, very happy, that would please him. Uh, and so, I, you know, I want to grow in my uh, spirit of generosity. I want to be sacrificial, right? So the tithe is the starting point, but really uh, my... I ought to be freeing myself up to make offerings, uh, even above and beyond that, to be generous, um, and sacrificial with that. Then final question, uh, for today is how do I figure out what God has given me to work with? How do I figure out, uh, what God has given me to work with? Um, <clears throat> I think, yeah, honestly, I just say like, look at what you have, um, look at what you have, right? That's what God's given you. Uh, I think sometimes it's hard for us to be honest with what we have. Uh, we we reserve um, or are very conservative uh, with the with with what we think we actually have 
uh, available to us. Uh, so we, ha- we, we need to do this honestly, like honestly look at what you have. We often talk about like these three buckets of our lives that we, um, th- that we can use to invest ourselves. Uh, however you want to see it, invest in the the church, invest in other people, invest in the expansion of God's kingdom, right? And the first thing that we can look at is how are you investing your time to expand God's kingdom? Like, how is your time actually being spent? Just like, look at it, do an assessment um, and and see, you know, is, is, is your time being used in a way, again, that if, if, if you could think about uh, what it would look like to stand before Jesus, right? Our Lord and Savior, our master and our King, and show them the time log of, you know, of your day of this past week, right? Is he going to look at that and, and, and be pleased with the time that he has given you, um, which represents your life? Um, second thing we can look at is our talent. Um, you know, how are you using your talent, again, to expand God's kingdom, to make a difference in the lives of other people, to demonstrate the love of Jesus to people that God brings into your life? You know, when I, and by talent, I, I, you know, what are you good at? Um, what do you love? Uh, what is it that makes you uniquely you? Are you? Are you using the way God has made you? You know, talk about, you know, what has God given me to work with? Well, God, God's given you you, you, you know, you are, you are who you are. Uh, and while we may sometimes feel, um, you know, less than excited about <laughs> what exactly God has made us, uh, the reality is we, we each have a unique way that we can contribute, um, into the lives of other people. And so how are you using that talent? And then finally, how are you investing your treasure? Right? So I just talked a whole bunch about tithing and giving, um, but really, is your money, uh, like look at your money, where's it going? Is it only going into things that last just a little while? Or is it actually, is there a portion of it that's going into things that last forever? You know, um, look at what is it that your heart treasures? What is it that you that you love more than anything else? I think about, you know, in the, in the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, um, uh, if you're familiar with that at all, right? One of the kinds of characters in those movies are the dwarves and the dwarves are consumed with a love for gold, right? They're constantly like their heart is just, it pines for and is bent toward gold. And you can actually see, uh, when they are in the presence of gold, like everything about them changes, uh, and, and they become, they, they become, their hearts become consumed with that thing. Right. And it's a, it's a, it's a lesson, uh, about how there are things in this world that can really grab a hold of our hearts and take possession of our hearts. And, and so we need to look at what is it, what is it that my heart is pining for? You know, what is it that I love more than anything else? And, and, and say, do I love that thing? Uh, or maybe do I love that person even, more than God? Uh, if the answer to that is yes, then it's like, okay, well now I have something that I put in, in front of God and that's going to make it hard for me to actually give my treasure, give the thing that my heart loves the most, uh, back to God. But that's exactly like, that's what God's given me to work with. And, um, and, uh, and, and I, he expects me to use it in a way that honors and glorifies him. Uh, and that also I think demonstrates a love for other people. So, All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of My Messy Church. 
If you haven't done so yet, be sure to head to your app store and download the Curtis Lake Church app for easy access to all of our content. Thank you so much for joining us, and we can't wait to be with you next week.